Hello, I am Lila Glasso-Francis, and I thank you for joining me today to listen to this podcast with our executive director, Frederick Janka, and artist Kelly Akashi, as the Carolyn Glasso-Bailey Foundation continues its podcast series. Kelly Akashi is a Los Angeles-born artist who initially studied photography. Her interest in the photographic process of transformation through time and space moved her to explore candle making, sculpture, and glass making. Akashi's sculptural universe exists in a perpetual state of metamorphosis, which is illuminated by the self-consuming flames of dripping wax candles, ephemeral light filtering through blown glass objects. Unidentifiable and inexplicably appealing, the deceptively nuanced sculptural bodies of Kelly's work call out to be touched and are often held in delicately cast bronze hands. Please enjoy this podcast today. Okay, welcome. Welcome, thank you. Kelly. Um, thank you all for, for coming. Um, we started talking about material. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, in particular, that sort of glass, bronze, and then, you know, our we've got our workshop tomorrow mm-hmm. with the... Um, with the candles. So mm-hmm. would you maybe start by talking about the wax and the candles? And yeah. It's a good place to start because it's the first, uh, it's my introduction to sculpture was uh, by working with wax and specifically I wanted to start by making candles. Um, I started to make candles um, because um, for me they were uh, a way to answer all these questions and issues that I had found um, as somebody who was producing a lot of photography in a time where photography had become, what I would say is kind of unstable. It was moving from a, a darkroom analog practice into a whole digital field um, in 2006, which was when I was graduating with a Bachelor's of Fine Art at Otis with a major in photography. So it was a very weird moment. I was uh, trained in uh, darkroom mural printing, which is where you would use a vertical enlarger to um, unroll photographic paper on a wall and produce an image that way. Um, and at the same time, I was getting a job at, um, I think it was Robinson's May, working in their post-production department, learning to um, scan film, uh, digitally process it, um, and then print it on um, uh, using like a light jet printer. Um, which is just a very different process. It's sort of like in-between moment um, uh, that used a computer to expose the image, but then used traditional methods to um, develop it. So photography was very strange then, and and there was a lot of questions around, and there's always been a lot of questions in photography about truth, um, but I feel like it was very up in the air at the time when Photoshop was becoming a a real tool um, in imaging. Um, and as time progressed and as, I, uh, as less and less darkrooms were available to me and more and more um, digital access was, um, I found myself unable to understand uh, what, what photography could afford me, um, especially in relationship to um, events and things um, that were happening in the world. I wasn't much of a studio photographer, I was more of a documentary style photographer. Um, so, so it was very confusing. Um, that led me to candles. I know for a lot of people that's a huge jump, uh, but I'm going to try to (laughs) explain what I was looking at and, and why I would, after maybe, you know, I think I'm, I'm summing up maybe six years of, of being very confused. (laughs) 
um, even starting to paint from photographs because I was trying to understand um, you know, what kind of images I wanted to make. Um, and I, I was really taken by James Welling's work. Um, if you know him, he taught at UCLA for a long time, um, photographer. He has a very long, um, I mean, it's, I think it's an ongoing series of photographs called Light Sources. Um, and they're photographs of light um, or of light reflecting off of objects. They're, they're, um, it's always expanding and it's always um, developing into series. And, and I was always very struck by how simple that was, the relationship between the image and the light. Um, and that's, that's the most basic way I can explain how I got to candle making. Um, I love that candles were, um, produce their own light. They're a sort of uh, object that illuminates themselves. But then they also change as they illuminate themselves. Um, they could be stopped at any moment. In any moment, you can sort of see the past of it and imagine the future of it. Um, but then as you light it, you can continue to change it um, until it just morphs into a very different kind of form. Um, it was also a great way to enter object making because wax um, and sand casting, which was my first foray into, into making a candle, um, are, are very forgiving <laughs> processes. So yeah, that's how I started with that. And so then now, even with looking at this photograph behind you, yes. so you've got wax, but then all of a sudden the wax is wrapping around metal and the metal, like, yeah. so I think maybe metal bronze primarily, maybe you're doing also some aluminum cast. I, I actually, I or? actually haven't, I've done stainless steel, oh, stainless steel though, which okay. is, okay. you know, has a, a similar look, but, um, yeah, these were not the first candles I made. These were, these were the third, mm -hmm. <laughs> I think of iterations. I started with sand casting, um, that was great because I I, um, I was just trying to figure out how to make candles and, and um, it, how to make sand candles was orally passed on to me through my mom. I actually was just talking to her. She's like, oh, I, I used to make sand candles when I was younger and told me how. And I love that the technique could just be shared orally. And then I could take that into the studio and just develop it on my own. And the first sand candle I made was not my mother's sand candle. <laughs> it was a very crazy sand candle, almost looked like a sand castle uh, candle with a big base and three feet, which was how she made her candles, but then the pillars had sort of broken open the molds and created these coral-like structures that came off of the candle. Uh, after that one, I wanted to make a candle of my generation, was how I thought about it, and I was looking at a lot of images of people's gaming setups, where they were... Uh, really um, wrapped up in the game and this trash and other waste would kind of fan out around them. And so I made a very nasty candle out of ramen noodles um, to sort of try to, I don't know, just speak to another, another aesthetic or another, another sensibility around what that candle could be. Um, and after that, it was, it was this question of why are all the candles so erect kept coming up to me? Why are they always standing up? Why can't I make a candle that can conform or um, just just not just not have this pillar-like quality, um, and the only way I could figure out to do that was by slowly hand dipping each candle, and then while it was warm, uh, form it around my body, around my hands, around other objects, and that's what led me to the candles that I I make today. Um, so maybe it wasn't learning the wrong way, but it was learning, you know, to do something very strange that produced a candle that didn't work correctly. But that wasn't the point of it. Totally. And I think when I say wrong, it's also yeah. 
it's intended to um, sort of be like a joke. Yeah. Because it's like, you know, I actually think, you know, so many of real, like the real innovations happen because you're challenging, um, you know, conventions on how material is used. And Mm -hmm. I think what ends up coming out of it is something really, really interesting for Mm -hmm. sure. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, certain artists definitely have an innate, you know, sensitivity to, to, um, to pushing the boundaries of material. And so then what comes next? Is it bronze? Bronze did come next and yeah. that, um, uh, if you know Lost Wax casting, I mean, Lost Wax is in, it's inherent and, and I, I, you know, I have to give a shout out to my friend Andy Wall, who was working at a casting uh, foundry at the time and saw my candles and said, oh, you know, you know, you could just you could just try casting these if you want to see what they look like. And, mm-hmm. and I never really thought about that, but um, uh, he knew the process and, and sort of introduced me to it. And those first casts were amazing. They were um, candles that had been half melted sideways. Um, and, and I love that because I've been talking so much about that in-between moment where the candle's half melted. But when the candle can continue to be burned, it's you can talk about that, but it's really hard to get people to really see that moment and I was able to fix it in time. I was able mm-hmm. to take that in-between moment and show it forever in that permanently cast state. Uh, so those two avenues are something I always go back to, a state where something can kind of can be temporal um, and change and, and people experience that change intimately. And then another one where it's static and fixed, but it's not really the thing anymore. It's a stand-in for, for what the candle was. And, that space um, gives people um, an ability to see that moment. Well, and then sometimes then you go and layer it on again, and you're wrapping. Oh yeah, that the, comes later. The, the yeah, <laughs> the wax around um, around the bronze, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. sort of it's there. It's facsimile, right? It's mm-hmm. sort of it's like um, like time travel. Mm-hmm, totally. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like that. Yeah, <laughs> where you're sort of seeing simultaneous existence. Mm-hmm. At, one, at one moment, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so then glass. Mm-hmm. How does, when does glass get in the, the way? The candles lead the glass. Um, these candles, they, they can conform to anything. Like I said, I would sometimes wrap them in my body and let them cool that way or around other objects. Um, I, I kept looking for a site for the candles, um, you know, what they could conform to that would be specific is the way I was thinking about it. And I had purchased some bowls from you know a thrift store, but they, they weren't very exciting to me, I think, because all the mouths were the same. And um, so I, I decided I needed to make my own bowls, and that's how I entered glass blowing. And it began with this, I think a lot of the materials I work with, they, become, they began, begin for this really um, specific reason. Uh, but then as I learned what the material's capable of and um, the kind of conversation I can have with the material as I understand how it works, uh, I begin to uh, let, give myself the freedom to just explore that material. So as glass blowing has progressed, it obviously isn't still wedded to you know a candle. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the memory, the transparency, the material makeup of it has just, um, and it's endlessly opening up to me. Well, yeah, and we'll talk a little bit yeah. about that um, in a bit about um, your time at, at Pilchuk. Um, but then you just were talking about transparency and the mm-hmm. glass, and then it made me think about now the photographs. 
Oh yeah. Right. And yeah. so the so you you're exposing the the paper with your vessels, glass vessels on top of that. Mm -hmm. Is that that's correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. After I had started working with glass, um, I, I happened to have a studio right next to the photo lab. <laughs> a lot of great, you know, access I was afforded when I was in graduate school that's been um, pretty important to the, what's happened in my studio. But, um, you know, I thought, why not just bring them back in the photo lab? That's my background. That's, that's my education. That's, that's the skill I, I have, um, you know, developed the most. Um, I'm very comfortable in the dark room, and I started taking these glass objects into the color dark room, which if any of you have ever worked in a color dark room, it's, it's completely dark. There's no red light, there's no safe light, so you're left to just um, what you can feel and what you can remember in your mind, um, and everything else is chance, uh, which I love. So when I produce these photograms, um, there's a lot of you know things I can't predict, and there's a lot of things I can um, play with, but there isn't... Um, yeah, there's a lot of surprises, and that's what I love about, I think, um, my favorite works, is there's um, a sort of something that I can't predict that comes out of it that teaches me something, and then I can take that and keep moving forward with it. That's, that's really cool. Um, and I'm trying to think if I, if I touched, you did, um, you did make a film recently. I did as well. I did make a film, which filmed that? 16 millimeters. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I love 16 millimeter. It's like, I mean, uh, you know, glass blowing, darkroom photography. These are all disciplines that are, um, you know, teetering on the edge of like uh, accessibility. You know, we don't know how long colored paper is going to be around. Uh, glass blowing, it's it's definitely you know around in in all aspects of our lives, but the access to it is not. Easy um, and film, it's the same way. Um, but I feel that 16 millimeter has a really special um, quality to it, insofar as it's a chemical process, and I wanted to engage that while I still can in a piece. So that film is in particular is a film of flames, um, and and the way that I really thought of it was the projector is a sort of lighting device, and then the film of the flames is a sort of mask. So the light you're seeing is, is being projected through the image of the flame, um, through a screen that I made, and sort of dancing and uh, illuminating that screen. It's very hard to describe this mm -hmm. piece since it's, uh, there's a lot of different aspects to it. But, um, but I love that, again, it's, it's really about sculpting a kind of light um, and a projection more than it is making a traditional film. Mm -hmm. And I think also the process of viewing. Oh yeah, well it's in the it's not yeah. fixed. It's, yeah. yeah, there's no one position for that film. Yeah, and your, yeah, and your time, your sense of time. Mm -hmm. um, well, let's jump back to Pilchuk. So okay. if I don't know if I'm, I assume maybe some of you know, but it's a, um, a very well recognized glass school artist residency program. We have. Um, Susan Amen, who's one of our local um, artists, she's on the board um, and uh, yeah, has a great reputation. And so can you talk to us about that experience? And then I think we spoke a little earlier today this afternoon about some of the things that are exciting you about, about specifically the, the new types of glass that you're getting into. So maybe kind of touch both yeah. points. Um, okay, I'll try to 
sum, I'll, sum I'll this up. You. I'll prompt you. Okay. Pilchard's really amazing. It's a, I, I call it a summer camp. It's a school. You, you take classes there. But, <laughs> I mean, they feed you three meals a day. You go down. You know, I, I just love being there. You live in a cabin with a roommate. Um, and then you wake up and you, you know, you go to your class every day. So there's a variety of disciplines that are happening at any time there, at any time there, but, um, always in glass. So there's usually casting, blowing, uh, sculpting, and I was doing flame working this time, uh, specifically working, um, with orosilicate, which is a, a, um, it's not, I, I usually work with soft glass. It's a, it's a stronger glass and it's more uh, heat resistant and has a higher melting point. Uh, Pyrex is a, is a commercially known kind of uh, uh, orosilicate. And I was specifically studying with a scientific glass blower mm. uh, who also makes fine art. And, and the world of scientific, scientific glass blowing is, is very exciting. I don't want to like nerd out too much right now because I could go on and on, but, but it's, it's just really filled in a huge, um, void of knowledge about glass that, that I've always wondered about, like uh, car windows. I've always avoided stress in glass. I, it's always this thing to fear. You don't want stress in the sculptures that you blow. Um, but I found out recently uh, car windows are, are have stress um, introduced into them so that if you get into an accident, they don't turn into shards. Um, and I never thought, oh, why would stress be useful? Oh, it's actually like a good safety concern. That's super interesting. That's actually a, be really great for this talk because you would think, oh God, stress and glass, you don't want to be yeah, great, but you actually, yeah. you actually do in certain instances. Um, yeah, so that, also just filtration systems, things like that, the way that um, glass blowers and scientists work together to advance science is, is something, I, I don't know why I never thought about it, I just didn't know about it. Uh, my teacher actually worked on the gravitational wave project, she helped um, make, you know, suspend a piece of quartz for a scientist to prove his theory, and I'm going, like, I had no idea that scientists and glass blowers were so, um, you know, needed to work together so closely mm. to, uh, to advance technology and prove certain theories. No, it's fascinating. So. I mean, I think if you think about, like, the glass from our phones, right? No, that's a great, so, that's yeah. a great, yeah. great example of yeah. glass blowers and scientists working together, yeah. yeah. Sorry, I just get very like blown away by this yeah. field of of, of um, yeah science and art really. But, yeah, I, I call it art, but so many of them will also work on their own um, art projects. Art projects, yeah. 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 And there's a great tradition in biology also of producing beautiful flower specimens. Mm. Um, also, sea creatures that scientists could study creatures that they couldn't. You know, they just didn't have access to jellyfish all the time. Or in the winter, scientists couldn't study uh, plant life, and so glass blowers would make these amazing um, fabrications of plants so that the scientists could learn more. Well, it's actually, that also reminds me of um, the wax um, figures um, from that museum in Florence. There's this oh, museum yeah. in Florence yeah. with um, these... Uh, anatomical figures mm -hmm. that are all made out of wax. Oh, yeah, those are they're really hundreds of years yeah. old. Um, there's one instance of a series of, of women, of, of a woman um, during pregnancy, mm -hmm. at different stages in pregnancy, but it's all wax and she's like almost like cut in half. Mm -hmm. But, ha you know, she's got the pearl necklace, like laying yeah. on this like <laughs> red velvet cushion. <laughs> you know, it's yeah, those like, are amazing. Uh, wax is, yeah. a, you know, durable. It yeah. doesn't degrade if you treat it right. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, that's really, and I think, you know, my perspective has always been that, that artists 
really um, are always pushing, um, you know, science and, and, and new technology and sort of, um, you know, a little bit of what we were talking about too, but just thinking differently, right? Like you have this material that has been used for centuries, but what about doing this or what mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. doing that and asking those questions are really challenging. So that's fun. I love that connection. That's mm-hmm. a really good connection. Um, so Pilchuck was fun. I, I, love, I, hope, I hope to go again next year. I would love to go again. And what, how, uh, how many times have you gone before? This is my second time. Your second time. Yeah, when I went last year. Uh, it's in Stanwood, Washington, so it's about an, uh, an hour north of Seattle. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really hidden away. It's in a tree farm. So it's it's beautiful you know, campus, beautiful buildings, all cabin, all built of wood. Well, it's special. Um, so I, I was speaking about your exhibitions. Mm-hmm. So um, last year you did have your first solo show in New York, mm-hmm. which was yeah. fantastic at Sculpture Center. And um, I also, having worked at Sculpture Center, oh, yeah. know that know the the unique qualities of the space oh, yeah. are also very <laughs> fun for artists. So um, I always think it's great to to hear about the experience. I know, right? I saw the show. Yeah, yeah. I know. I remember. <laughs> yeah. 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 The basement space. Oh, the basement's yeah. amazing. Yeah. To show your work. Yeah. That, no, I was. That's an all-time. I time. knew the space before they asked me. You know, I that that did not take long to decide. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for those who don't know, it's it's in an old trolley repair facility. Um, so the the basement in is, Long Island City. Yeah. So it's concrete and and it's just sort very of raw. Yeah. And then there's these little alcoves. So she you kind of walk down and you'd look in and there'd be a little. Surprise. <laughs> <laughs> and then the light going down the stairs, mm-hmm. I still remember because mm-hmm. that was so powerful, just coming down the stairs and wow, look at that piece to introduce it. So mm-hmm. it was, I'm so glad I saw that show. Yeah, so. Yeah, yeah. so do you want to talk about your experience where I'd love to hear mm-hmm. some of the some I mean of that. that's a I, I I can't tell you how many people ask me, you know, oh was it hard? Hard like oh it must have been so hard to work mm-hmm. in that basement. And I'm like, but the basement is so much character and mm-hmm. it, it affords so much. It wasn't I mean, it was a, it's, it was really fun more than anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, figuring out, I guess, um, or it's not even figuring out. It was just finding opportunities and the kind of backdrop or how to actually bring the backdrop into the work was, was just really exciting. Um, and then also to work with Irving Glass and, oh, and uh, Daniel Bressinger, who was the gaffer who I worked with on all the glass pieces. Um, was just an absolute joy. I felt so lucky every time I got to go into the studio with her. Um, and then the essay Ruba wrote, which I, I don't think we have here, but that's been super important to me. She, she really wrote about um, uh, my practice of dissecting <laughs> without being messy, of looking inside. And, and she used this term unpeeling, which I can't help but think of when I look at Rice Parker <laughs> this, this idea of unpeeling an object and, and trying to look inside and see the interiority. Um, I, I just felt it was so spot on. And so as, as time's moving forward, I'm, I'm really looking back at that essay um, and it's informing uh, what I'm thinking about moving forward with um, scientific glass, but also uh, different kinds of imaging. Tomography, that's my new that's my new word for, for the kind of images I'm looking to produce, which uh, comes from CT scanning. Uh, it, it has to do with a sectional image mm. where you can slice into something uh, without actually opening it. Wow. 
Um, we have to get you out to the Allosphere at UCSB. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I want to go. Do, <laughs> it's um, three. It's three D imaging where you're actually inside, and they work with scientists to basically visualize elements at like bacterial level, you know, oh, like levels wow. that you can't view normally, yeah. or I mean, atomic level or whatever. Um, but it's really and you, there's one you know animation where you go inside a brain. You oh. actually can like move back and forth, kind of. Oh, that's by amazing. Lane. So <laughs> I think that could be a really interesting yeah. um, opportunity for you. I mean, I, I made me the peeling layers, and maybe Ruva had already seen the um, the the piece at the hammer. Oh yeah, um, she but, had already seen okay. that. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> she had made this um, almost like an onion. With based these, off an onion. Yeah, yeah. with these layers of um, latex. Was that what it was? Or silicone. Silicone. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That created, yeah, just this incredible um, figure that was sort of hanging in space. Sagging. Sagging. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, so the hands. Yeah. So we've talked about hands before. And I think listening to you speak about that kind of evolution of wax to bronze and yeah. you know you're putting it on your body and then I think all of a sudden I would I'm assuming then you see your body and then you see your hands and, yes. and so can you speak there were quite a few hands in um, and fragments of hands mm -hmm. in um, the sculpture center show mm -hmm. um, so and uh, well, actually also at, um, at the hammer there's always hands yeah. yeah so let's can you let's dig in for a little bit yeah the hands. I started making the hands 2015, um, I made a wax hand first, and um, I think in the same vein of how I'm talking about the life of a candle, uh, to me, the life of a human became something that I was interested in, my own mortal existence. Um, it started, though, because while mortality is like, interesting to me, or maybe, maybe I should say temporal objects, um, uh, a longer geological timeline has also been really intriguing. And for me as a human, I've always found that in, in fingernail and hair growth, which you know is like a keratin growth. Um, and I wanted to um, capture that somehow, those kind of mini, I thought of them as like mini geological structures that were coming off of my body uh, or formations. So um, that's where the first hand casts come from. They were come from an attempt to capture the fingernail growth in different stages. Um, and and after I did a few of those, it's become a longer project where I just want to do it the rest of my life uh, to chronicle um, my hands as they age and change. Um, and I keep thinking that, you know, the final work's gonna be these, these you know, the hand 40 years from now and the first hand together. And, and the space in between those hands maybe is, is, is you know, I think can be captured between those two moments. It's a little like, um, you know, it's a little heavy, but <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I want to see, I want to see that project through. So I keep casting hands in the meantime. Each time I use a hand, you know, for me it does have its own meaning and approach. Um, sometimes it's about tactility. Um, sometimes it's about an interesting gesture or use of the hand. I started to use the hands as hooks. For other sculptures or I'm gonna call them hooks but they're so sculptural and they're so integrated with the spirals the glass spirals mm -hmm. that I've been making that I think calling it a hook is maybe 
yeah, downgrading what's <laughs> happening a little bit. Um, but, you know, um, I think finding a personal answer to hardware is just an interesting side, side um, um, you know, thing that's come out of working with the hands and the bronze. Is there, um, I'm curious, is there sort of a, a, t a time frame for you to, like every, is it like a week or a month or is it a year, is there any sort of system behind it or is it just sort of? Um, it's as I need them and they, they come in bursts. Um, a lot of my work comes in bursts except the candle making. The candle making, you know, happens all the time. <laughs> um, but the glass blowing because it's, you know, comes from a more uh, factory tradition is what I'm going to call it. Um, when you go in the shop, you know, you're there to work, you're there to work eight hours a day, you're not there to hang out because time is money. In the shop, you're renting, you're renting equipment, you're renting people to assist you, um, you need to get to work. Um, then the glass doesn't play nice if you, if you try to make it work on your timeline, you have to, you have to manage it. Um, and, and then the attentive. bronze also, yeah, and you have to be attentive and you have, you just can't, you know, um, yeah, you can't ask it to adhere to your your follies <laughs> but uh yeah um the bronze is similar because i always work with a, a lost wax casting uh shop to do it i don't have my own slurry mixer i, I draw the line <laughs> i draw the line in my studio with a slurry mixer um but uh yeah so i do those in bursts too and i'll make you know 10 at a time and then use those for different purposes. And I always take them back to the studio to see what's possible with them. I try not to pre, you know, subscribe too much on the sculptures I make. It's mm. something that comes together later. Sort of creating like an inventory of materials, mm -hmm. basically, to, yeah. then, uh, to then sort of pull from as projects evolve. Exactly, yeah. Um, I think definitely um, time is coming back again. Yeah. I think when you, when you make just touching on sort of the, the process of working in an in industrial, I guess, studio, right, production. Mm -hmm. um, you definitely, not only are the requirements of time on the material, but the physical time of being in there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, so, yeah, so one of the things that we've been wanting to make a commitment to as the foundation is to artists from California. Oh, yeah. So... And this is, it's, I think it's a, it's a fun question to ask people, I think is, um, you know, how do you like sort of identify as being, um, you know, from a region or, or being a part of a, a network or scene or, or, you know, you, you being in the Made in LA biennial is an important, um, you know, I think, uh, badge of honor for an artist from LA. Well, and Arm and Hanzo <laughs> yeah. were great curators yeah. too, yeah. so it's also just to work with them on the on the show but uh Cal being a california artist i mean i grew up there i'm from los angeles um i would say after living i mean i only have ever lived in germany besides um la but i find that you can get a lot done in la it, especially as a sculptor it it has a lot of processes and um experts available to you um I, I haven't been able to find that in all cities equally. So LA is very special that way for me. I'm very comfortable with the way that things work in LA too. Um, yeah. Well, I guess what I was also thinking about too is sort of 
um, you know, legacy or, or, or um, influence. Yeah. Um, you know, you mentioned um, Jim Welling. Oh, yeah. um, I'm curious to, especially when we're talking about light or, um, oh, you know, yeah. material. I mean, there's, there's definitely a, a few generations of artists that, that you know, have, have sort of explored that, um, mm -hmm. especially industrial production, material. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know, how do you necessarily, do you feel affinity or, or, or I don't know, I'm just curious, yeah. just throwing that out there without. When I lived in Germany, I realized if you asked, if I asked any of my peers in Germany, or it was an international school, so they were from all over, you know, who their favorite artists were, they would always name an artist from LA. They would name you know, Mike <laughs> Kelly, like, so, like there would always be an artist or a few artists from LA that were named. And I just, it was that time, I mean, I, I had the weird, like, hatred of LA <laughs> when I left. I was like, get me out of here. I think you just have to leave where you're from at some point. Yeah. Um, but when I was away, I started realizing, you know, how amazing that is, that um, these artists in LA, they, they were pretty accessible, actually. Like, Baldessari um, uh, worked with one of my teachers from Otis McCranston very closely, and I met him a couple times because she would have his birthday party, you know, her birthday party there or something, and I was like, this is just... Um, incredible that these world-renowned artists are also so easy to speak to and 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 learn from and study with. Uh, Mike Kelly is definitely an artist that I've always, you know, uh, been super uh, interested in. An amazing artist. Did you um, have a chance to meet him? I never did. Yeah. Uh, I've worked with a lot of people who studied under him, though, and I've heard a lot about him, but I never met. I never met him. Um, but then there's also an artist like Liz Craft, who I think is an incredible artist too, and I've always been really inspired by and I would call a very LA artist mm -hmm. um, so maybe maybe that's a good example some, <laughs> some artists that I've been really um, taken by she's mm -hmm. really taken by and she's done a lot of work in bronze now she that I'm has yeah. Too. Yeah. yeah she's a great bronze artist mm -hmm. well awesome and so uh, as kind of a concluding point um, you know is there something I mean I think we might have touched on it already, yeah. um, but you oh, know, you what you're excited up, about, yeah. you know, like I, that's really interesting in terms of this, this sort of science and glass and, and, um, but is there anything else that you're kind of like noodling right now or excited about? Um, I'm really thinking in, in line of what I was talking about with tomography I'm, I'm looking at things that are, uh, that have spaces that are inaccessible to the human eye. And so I'm looking at a lot of shelves. Mm -hmm. Right now, and I'm thinking a lot about the space inside a shell that's um, not accessible to, to humans unless you destroy it, um, but they're accessible to the creature that, of course, we're inhabiting it. Um, so I've been, yeah, I've been uh, going to the Natural History Museum and well, looking at things from their collection recently. Um, this is all top secret. Yeah. <laughs> for the For podcast. podcast. Yeah. Just, no one will listen to it. No, no, but it's, this is all stuff I'm, I'm working on for the, the show with Francois, uh, which will open the beginning of February. Uh, um, well, I was going to jump in because um, the Museum of Natural History in Santa Barbara actually oh. has one of the most important collections of shells. What? I, of course, I didn't have, think about this. I just, you know, I'm like a, LA, yeah, like in there. A, wow, um, okay. A shell collection, and actually, Tim Fisher did a project oh. um, at the Contemporary Arts Forum, um, and this is now a number of years ago, but a great LA uh, painter um, did a fantastic uh, series of works um, after spending time in the collections mm -hmm. and, and with the curator. And oh, I wow. think okay. um, that could actually be really um, 
exciting news so it's really yeah. exciting <laughs> to, to get into you got stuff. everything out yeah <laughs> <laughs> I know. why aren't you spending more time with me <laughs> uh, uh, well that's exciting well thank you Kelly so much for um, your time thank and, you um, for uh, having you me know, uh, I just thank you guys for coming on if anybody has a, a question or two in closing um, that you might want to ask or something oh, yeah. I actually have one yeah. uh, I, I went to your show in, in New York at the oh, Sports cool. Center, and yeah. it was really an amazing show. Oh, thank you. Stuck, it sticks with you for a long time. And oh. One of the interesting things is, you know, when you go to New York, you see so many shows. Yeah. And we were there, and we saw at least 10 shows, but I have to be honest with you, your show is the one that I kind of think about when I... Oh, thank you. Um, my question, yeah. though, was, and I remember asking myself this when I saw your show, is um, making the glass seems mm-hmm. like such a... a process of, of chance, like you're not quite sure what you're going to get when mm-hmm. you come out. Um, how much of those sculptures were preconceived before you started production, mm-hmm. and how much kind of evolved after, you know, during the process of making them and yeah. studying the shapes a little bit? What, what I preconceived the most are the steps in the making, if that makes sense, because there's, um, those aren't made, you know, I no, a person can't make those alone, or if they try to, it would be a little, like, it would be a big waste of time. So there's always me and two other people working on them. Uh, so the choreography is something that has to be planned out in advance, which leaves open a lot of awesome chance. <laughs> but not the kind of chance where you're going to um, blow something up so thin that it's never going to survive. It's the kind of chance where what, what will these colors look like when we swirl them together? Um, what will happen when you get this spot hot, add more glass on top, and just blow it out. Um, so, so yeah, the steps are, are very much planned out, but then the, um, the results are, are a little uh, surprising. And even in the process of making, because everything's so hot, um, and you don't want it to cool down too much because it'll, it'll crack and you'll lose it, um, you don't even get a lot of time to really spend with it in that moment. So it goes in the annealer. You wait overnight, you wait, you know, 20 hours or so, um, and then you see the objects. There's even this, it reminds me so much, I always go back to photography, but it reminds me of when you would take photos and you would bring the film in, there'd be this great waiting period where you didn't even know <laughs> what you shot, and you saw it, you'd sort of, you know, re-see what you already saw, and I feel like that about um, glass a lot, too. Well, and also, um, as I know from previous conversations, because the material, sometimes things don't survive, or you once again, which sometimes you lose about, things. Yeah, and you or you push things just a little too far. Yeah, it, it's happened. Mm-hmm. It's sad. They always say like, don't don't go in the hot shop if you can't take the heat, <laughs> and you can't deal with loss because you, there's no time to mourn too. Um, especially if in the middle of a work day, or you've got a goal. Um, you you might lose something you spent you know a lot of time on and you, you just have to okay whatever and just keep going so no no heartbreak <laughs> no time for it at least um, I'm also curious to know you know some of the artists that you've cited are, are incredible female artists and I'm just wondering you know what's the sort of dynamic in um, like a kind of gender dynamic in like a glass blowing studio oh. is there a oh, sense man, of they machismo work. they or? all know they, they need to the whole I mean the community here especially um, in the US knows they need to work on it Italy, Italy is like another big story <laughs> <laughs> but yeah no they're, they're definitely really trying to be more um, diverse and include different people because it is a very macho it is a factory 
um, situation, and it's you know it's heavy, it's hot, it's dang it's dangerous. It is dangerous actually, even though a lot of you know the glassworks I work with make it look like a lot of fun, um, but you know it, it can get very macho and and very aggressive. But I find that the women in glass really are open, want to include other women, and they've been incredibly supportive. Uh, because I'm very much, you know, a beginner still in, 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 um, in terms of what, um, how much glass artists have, have studied. Um, but it doesn't matter. They're always very, especially the women, are very, very um, much including me in what they do. Yeah, that's a good point. Mm -hmm. uh, did anyone else have a... I like it. I like working with other people, but I need time alone too, so that I can have my own thoughts. And I feel like the the way that I've been working affords me that. It, again, it happens in bursts. Um, yeah, yeah, and and those bursts have been really useful. I, I don't know another way to put it. They're, they've been really useful to me. And I, you know, I don't know if it's by choice because these are the structures of you know uh, glass blowing. Uh, shop is that you can't go. Oh, I'll come in for an hour and leave. That's just not. That's not how it. I mean, it, you could do that, but I don't know. You know, like, you wouldn't yeah, make any friends. I'd question that. It was just not. Yeah, you wouldn't get a lot done. Uh, plus, you know, it, it's a skill. So you know, when you make five, the fifth one's going to be faster and and cleaner than the first one, which might be a good or a bad thing. You know, it's like I want all five. So maybe by doing that, I can actually, I get the, the widest array um, instead of doing one here and there, which would actually afford me more of the same kind of thing, I would say. Yeah, it's actually, I'm, I'm more surprised when I, when I do a full day than if I yeah, just did things here and there. And same thing when all that stuff, you know, all that stuff comes in the studio. You have to imagine like an annealer full of glass and I have to take it in my studio. And then, you know, not all of it I predicted some of it there's some really awesome mistakes and then I have to figure out how to deal with that and that's where the time alone and um, not knowing what's going to happen that's when that all comes into play yeah. I feel like uh, I really like when a sculpture has different kinds of energies in it and and I don't like everything to have like a scrutinized planned out energy I like when there's lighter moments um, paired with more more planning Yeah, it's very different. I mean, you know, I, I come from this photo background, and um, I was reading an essay on photography recently. It was talking about, you know, when you take a portrait of somebody, you know, you're like, okay, I want this image. I want it framed like this. I want uh, this kind of lighting. But then, you, you know, maybe you didn't notice, this, you know, the way the collar sat, or you didn't notice the way the pattern was going to line up on the shirt. There's always these things you can't plan in photography that 
in painting, you know, if it doesn't line up that way, you know the painter painted it that way. There was there was no accident to how that pattern lined up. Um, but you know, I'm a photographer that makes sculpture, and I feel like so much of those photo, you know, photography sensibilities have just found their way into the way I produce objects. So yeah. was the transition from two-dimensional to three-dimensional moving one? No, it was years. <laughs> I, I try to make it sound like it's just like oh, it just happened. It was years of of you know, what is a frame? What is this thing? Oh, now I have to put it in a frame. Like, what materials? Well, I don't, you know, if it's wood, like, why is the wood black or white or raw or paint? You know, what's, green this, or what's, no this, green, what's yeah. the uh, spine like? Can the spine be tilted? Can there be different colors of wood in the spine? It's just everything became a question, um, which some people, you know, when you start getting that into the frame, it's like you do as a sculptor. <laughs> I, mean, actually, you know, I mean, even now I keep thinking about making my own glazing, you know, because I'm making all this glass, uh, I'm starting to learn casting, I'm going, well, why not make my own glazing, like, why am I buying Optim Optimum or whatever, this, like, fancy museum glass, like, why not bring that into the piece as well, so, could be in the future. I love that. <laughs> well, thank you again, Kelly, and thank you all for coming so much. Thank you for having me. Of course. <laughs> Thank you.